the first pick in the NFL draft. The Houston Texans select. Kayvon Thibodeau, the pass rusher extraordinaire for this Ducks defense. Number 97, Aiden Hutchinson. intercepted. That is the All-American Kyle Hamilton. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and it's the bye week this week so there wasn't a game to lament this week and we've obviously got Tennessee coming up but I can tell you what's going to happen already for that so we're not I don't think we'll spend much time talking about that either, but um, we thought we'd spend this week uh, trying to get look ahead. It's that time already of the year. Uh, going to talk some draft this week, so I couldn't think of anybody better to join me this week. Um, in probably, I'll probably describe me as world famous now, Jordan. I think, but the <laughs> the uh, certainly um, the the best guy we could have got to come and do this today, uh, Jordan Punt, Texans thoughts coming to talk some draft. It's how you doing, Jordan? All right. I'm doing great. Well, I guess great isn't the word with how the Texans have been doing. But other than that, I've been doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. And I'm excited to talk ball with you, man. How have you been doing? Yeah, good. Well, you're getting there this season. I think it's tough, isn't it? Yeah. Because you've got, you know, you've, you've got very, very few, very few sort of lights at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. And I suppose the draft is that for it. And that's, I suppose, the the equaliser and the, the parity of the salary cap and the draft is, is one thing that makes this league cyclical. So I'm holding on to that thought. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I'm holding on to that, especially knowing how many picks that we could potentially have and high quality picks. If this Deshaun Watson trade eventually gets done, I know trade deadlines pass, but at the end of the season, leading up to the draft, that trade gets done. I mean, we could be looking at like six, seven top 100 picks. And so knowing how important that can be for a rebuild, I mean, that's definitely, like you said, the light at the end of the tunnel for this uh, unfortunate Texans season. Yeah, and, what did, and if you if you had to make a bet right now, how many, yeah. what uh, team do you think like, will pull the trigger with eventually? Should it come to that, hopefully? It's going to be Miami. I think it, it has to be. I mean, that's the only team we've seen so far that Watson is willing to waive that no mm. trade clause for. So Panthers made some noise. Eagles have made some noise. I think some people bring up the Giants as potentially having the capital to trade for him. But at the end of the day, Deshaun does have that one part of the say in this, uh, what team he plays for. And so it's probably going to be Miami. I would assume that they kind of have some sort of framework um, in place. I know that's what John McClain had reported. And I think Pat yeah. Storm said that as well, um, which makes sense because we've had so many months to, to talk about this and so many months to talk about all these possible scenarios. So it only makes sense to me that they have some sort of deal in place, but we just got to figure out what goes on with the allegations. So I think it'll be Miami. Is that your thought as well? Well, it always seemed like that. But then I, I think when you, if you think your biggest complaint with this organization is it's not put, putting you in a position to win, after watching that game a couple of weeks ago, I don't think necessarily will they'll put him in a better chance to win. And if it's a you know if it is lifestyle aspirations and yeah. and glamour and the money's kind of changed them as some people have alluded to, then yeah, I mean fair enough. Um, I don't think they've got the best deal to offer. I think you could end up with three picks in the twenties quite easily. Uh, maybe not this year with the way the 49ers are going right enough. They've seemed to just be an injury hell and. Uh, but you never know. Trey Lance might come and you know turn that thing around. You know down yeah. the back down the stretch. So it's yeah, a lot to be decided. But yeah, it, it seems strange in a way that 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 would be the only pick. You've got to hope time just lets it, it lets it marinate a little, and he'll be open in that camp. And 
all this stuff will be over, but they'll be open to you know a wider array of possibilities and locations for them to go with. Because if you if you if they wait, um, hopefully that might change their tune a bit. Because you never know where Miami might be um, at the end of the year. But mm-hmm. you know you saw their their stands are empty, our stadium's empty. So <laughs> both, both 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 teams need a change. Whether it'll come working together or not, I don't know. Um, from what you've seen this so far, this this. Uh, season needs of which there are many but what would you say is kind of top two or three that you think pertaining to the the quality and the depth in this class by position but what would you think our top 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 couple of needs are trying sure up come uh come draft time in vegas yeah so i think definitely number one is offensive line i mean that is the worst position group across the entire texans team and we've seen it this year it's been a complete detriment to the offense run game can't do anything pass protection can't hold up And so that's where I would start for sure, because this year um, we'll hear it a lot that it's not that strong of a quarterback class. And so instead of going and reaching for, you know, Matt Corral, Malik Willis, we'll talk about those guys later, I'm sure. But instead of reaching for that quarterback, go get your offensive line, go build it, go get it right. Because, and I think you tweeted about this too, is that looking at this line, there's not many people that you actually want to bring back whatsoever. I mean, you've got Tunsil, who some people say you could trade him. I don't think they actually will. You got Titus, who... He needs to go out to right tackle mm. to actually play well because he's not a guard. After that, I don't want anyone. Nobody. Not Heck, not Cannon, not Sharping, not McCray. Britt can come back maybe, but mm. even the guy they, they started yesterday, I thought he played at the same level as Britt. Yeah, yeah. The rookie. And he's first so, ever start in the league, yeah. So, a seventh yeah. round pick. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so. how I think. Yeah, I think, yeah. It just shows you that there wasn't a... Because there was there was a a guy um, that does kind of film review tweeted back at me asking how he how I thought he did mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Morrissey and I said well yeah apart from a couple of mistakes I don't think he was a, yeah. a, a net negative so yeah I think that just that just shows you the bar uh, so many positions is set in so incredibly low that it's going to take it's going to take a lot to to not improve the team but oh, I mean and and. I'm interested to see this year, Jordan, how Caserio approaches the draft because last year yeah. he effectively shunned it in many ways, um, which I don't know if he would regret um, now, um, particularly all these kind of veterans he's gone after. Um, how do you think he'll approach it? Because for me, if you do get multiple picks, I think you've got to trade back at least one of them to try and pick up some extra because, you know, the, the infamous draft that, that that Chris Ballard, this only draft that Chris Ballard gets lauded for, he picked up so much value at the top of that second round. Yeah. Um, you know, in the end of the first top of the seconds where you can really kind of pick up value and get guys that just drop just by positional value, by, you know, you know sometimes knocks that, that come on people's character or, or, or health concerns or whatever. So how would you approach it? Or if you were Caserio, how would you be hoping he would approach this? It's, that's a tough question because I feel like my approach will always be just take the best player available. And so mm-hmm. kind of going into, you know, a draft, it changes so much depending on who's there at the board. Like it's so unpredictable is my point here. And so it's hard to go into it with like a set strategy um, in terms of like trading down, trading up. It was interesting last year that um, in his first draft class, he was very willing to trade up. And you could argue that the two trades he made to trade up for Nico Collins and the trade up for eventually Garrett Wallow, he kind of paid a hefty price to make yeah. those trades. And so I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of continues that pattern in this next class and he won't care as much about you know making that um that pricey trade because now look at him he's accumulating all the six round draft picks in the entire nfl he's got six this year or sorry three this year got three the next 
And so he has that capital now to move up and go select the guys that he he can really trust. So that's kind of what I would expect him to do based off of the evidence that we have from last season. Um, but in my opinion, what I would do, like you said, if I was Nick Casario, I'm not a big fan of, of a trading up. Um, I think if you don't like a guy where you're picking and there's not like a guy who's the best player available that you're happy with and he can fit your team and all that, um, then trade down. Like you said, go accumulate that capital. Um, yeah, especially in this draft class, top of the second round, that's where you're going to find your steals. That's where there's a lot of value. I think there's a good amount of like first round, like graded talents this year. And so because of that, they're going to fall early thirties to the forties. That's going to be your money range this year for sure. So I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think last year as well. I don't think he had enough players on his board when he was picking it. It seemed like that yeah. actually, by the time they got to got to the end. And obviously, your, your last pick of the draft was 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 Lopez, and he's probably out snapped his his, his slate um, quite considerably. Yeah. So you never know. It's just I, I think that's the probably you know when they've kind of frittered away some picks at times. Um, mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see if they do go for uh, volume more this year than than last because it was obviously the, the smallest draft class in history, the smallest undrafted. Uh, free yeah. agent class in history as well, so you've got to hope that you know there's a there's an element of of being selective for the quality at the spot you're picking up or going up to find the guy if you've got them, you know, overrated versus um versus where they're falling to. But yeah, I I I wonder if Casario will treat this differently. I don't know, but you said you set a pattern, so perhaps he'll he'll he'll, he'll follow that. Uh, but certainly, you know, and I got the New England thing, but you know they've always kind of traded back. And picked yeah. up, you know, and taking more shots, you know, more darts at the board, sort of thing. And it is, and it, and it's so, and it's so tough. And I think doing this kind of looking through these guys this week, I think the, I really found that it, it, I got a new appreciation for sort of trying to calibrate guys. Yeah. Um, you've not always got like much all twenty two view. You've not always got, you know, the inside. I, I do like watching the interviews. Um, because Me too. I think you get yes. a feel for a guy because then you can kind of understand. Quite quickly, you know what they're about and what's the kind of, you know, is there is there necessarily like you know, a character she's like? And you can't always tell from an interview, but I think you can always yeah. kind of get a bit of a feel for it. Um, and then and then as well, I know, and there obviously there's the uh, underwear Olympics that kind of that sway a lot. Um, and I under, and I probably understand why. Um, you know that that gives you just that extra data point on raw athletes and what you need as a baseline in the league. So, like it's mm-hmm. definitely. A, it's definitely you know you can see see how it's an all year round process because there was so many rabbit holes, so many other guys' names yeah. I wrote down that I want to go and look into later and stuff. So the 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 uh, list is endless, but ultimately we, <laughs> roughly most teams will have twenty twenty five picks, first round grades roughly on any given year, and then roughly about 150, 170 players that they've got draftable grades upon, and the rest are all kind of undrafted priority free agents, all that kind of stuff. So. That being said, uh, Jordan, um, certainly the consensus at this point, um, before all that over-analysis and paralysis by analysis kicks in at the end of the season, um, is a whole industry. Um, but um, Kevin Thibodeau, out of Oregon defensive end, um, three-year starter now, um, is he your sort of un- undoubted number one player in this draft? Yeah, he was going into this season. And I think even despite the injury that he's had, he still remains that top player because he's shown he can be the, you know, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, um, who was it last year? Chase Young, like that type of alpha pass rusher who, you know, you can depend on him to bring you double digit sack seasons. Um, He's going to draw attention from offenses and, and make, you know, your opposite edge rushers job easier. And so I think 
he's the top guy this year, especially with no quarterback really elevating themselves. Um, the ability to get a type of guy like Kayvon Thibodeau that you can build a defense around um, is amazing because it's not even just like he's an elite pass rusher and all he's going to do is get you sacks. Like he defends the run really well. They drop him in coverage. He can play from different stances. So positionally, you're all good there. If you want to run a three, four, four, three, um, he's a super smart guy off the field. He wants to get into so many different business opportunities after football. So you can tell like he's great on the field, great off the field. He's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, there's really not many question marks about Kayvon Thibodeau whatsoever. And so, yes, he is my number one guy. Is he yours as well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as I'm early stages at this this year, but I think just with the, having a pick is the novel, isn't it, right? You get to talk about these guys with a you know a, a semblance of a chance that you might, they might be on your team the following year. Mm-hmm. I think he is. I, there, there's something that I can't quite put my finger on, though, um, when I watch his tape. And look, I know like a valiant pass rush is really difficult. Uh, without yeah. the old 22 because and same with offensive linemen getting into the nitty gritty of it because if you've got like a 20% uh, win rate at the, at the point of attack in the trenches that's you know that's that's all pro level stuff so mm-hmm. it's like trying so you've got it so you can only take 20% of snaps of success so that's difficult to try and evaluate I think and then to try and then calibrate that across other guys who who are winning up in the trenches so that there's there's definitely there's definitely a lot to like about his game I I, I wrote down I thought he's he's a ball of clay I think if you get him in the right the right coach in the right system um and maybe where he's not having everything on his shoulders from day one um you know he could take time to develop and be you know a, a, an all pro type player the, the, there's definitely though something about him just maybe at the line of scrimmage just at the point of attack where it just needs a bit of work, I think, and he just he's hand placement, hand fight, and look, all rookies do, so it's not it's not unique to him at all. Yeah. Uh, but you can just see the raw athleticism there, the way he bursts through the line of scrimmage. It's exciting to watch, and he's a high motor guy. He reminds me of Jadavian though so much, I think, in some <laughs> ways, because he is a, he, he is an elite run defender, which is quite rare. Because I think when we talk about other prospects, I think that's always the big knock that yeah, a lot of people can rush in their own way and there's so many ways to do that but run defenders run defending it's the nitty gritty it's the hard stuff it's the unglamorous stuff that doesn't doesn't get you sacked so people you know TFL's same effect on the game but people don't like it so as much it's not as glitzy but um, yeah no I think there's a lot there to like with, with Thibodeau um, yeah but there's there, there is some rough edges but I think yeah it's, it's tough to see as a as a as a guy up front um, you know how, not too many knocks on really yeah, I think what really um, interests me about Kayvon Thibodeau is that, like you said, like he's definitely an elite athlete. And I think last year in 2020 and even 2019, when he was a freshman, you saw he relied pretty much purely on his athleticism. Like like you said, he could improve his hands for sure. Um, and I and I, that's why I kind of compare him a little bit to Chase Young, just because out of college, like he was basically just a speed rusher and that was it. Mm. Um, but that part of your game, like improving your hands, like you can always improve that. Now, not everyone does, obviously, but you can improve that. I think in 2021, he's shown that just a little bit. Um, He's taken a little bit of a step in that regard. And so far, he is first among edge rushers in terms of pressure percentage. So he's getting a pressure on 21% of his snaps. Um, He already has four sacks in just six games. He had three last year in seven games. So he's already eclipsed his total from the year before. Um, And so, yeah, I just think in terms of these, you know, these young collegiate prospects, we're always thinking about, you know, what are they now, but then also what can they become in the future? And so to get to that future projection, you know, we want to see them taking those steps every year. And I think Kayvon has done that so far. So 
like you said, I mean, there's not many question marks about him. So yeah, he's my, he's my number one guy. And I think one last um, thing I want to on, end on is in terms of like ceiling and what he can become, I think he can become a guy like Shaq Barrett. That's where I kind of um, see his eventual projection being like, cause he's an elite athlete, but also Barrett has that elite technique. And so if Kayvon can put that together, he can be an alpha pass rusher on a Super Bowl winning type of defense. So that's a great type of pick to make number one overall. Yeah, it's funny because obviously Shaq Barrett was a bit of a late bloomer, just didn't get the snaps at mm-hmm. Denver and then flourished in Tampa. And he's one of the you know the great examples of you can always find money in pass rushers. And when it when it yeah. comes when it comes down to positional value, Jordan, would you always go edge number one over over of anything apart from quarterback? Yeah, that's tough. Um, it's really tough. I think definitely your big three is your quarterback, your offensive tackle, and your edge. And so I think even nowadays, I think edge is becoming more important than an offensive tackle because offenses are getting so good at kind of protecting those tackles. Like you can chip for them, you can run screens more, you can run more quick game stuff, use play action. And so the way that offensive concepts and and schemes are are evolving, it it you don't need elite tackles as much as you do before if you have the right scheme. Now, not every team always does and can protect those tackles. But um, so because of that, I think it's it's easier to help out a tackle than it is to help out um, a defensive end. So, yeah, defensive end would be my yeah. number one after quarterback. Yeah, and I think on and then on your defense, perhaps this, the second most valuable and the hardest position to find um, in general is corner. And I think Derek yeah. Stingley... Obi's injured, so it's going to roll some flags. I think it's a funny year yeah. because you're coming off a COVID year, which is not a great baseline. You've got guys mm-hmm. who they make. There's you know there's tens and tens of guys that are that are jumping up boards that weren't there at the start of the year because last year was just a kind of odd year in the wilderness for a lot of guys. But Derek Stingley, you know, very much mooted as just as good, if not you know as was Jalen Ramsey coming out of Florida State. He's he's mirror match capability um, coming off the line. He can go up and press. And going to win the ball, and I think he kind of does everything really well. He's one of these prospects that's kind of hard to, hard to, to pinpoint much of a, a flaw in his game at, at the stage of his career because he's he's so polished and kind of mm. pro ready, if you like, um, for a term. Now he's not there right now, and he's not played a lot of games. I think he had seven or eight interceptions in his first year at LSU, um, and he's kind of sort of last year, funny year for everyone, and now he's and now he's injured. So a guy like that, undoubted talent. Uh, but there's always that adage of hurt guys stay hurt. What do you think of him firstly? And then secondly, does the injury concern you? Yeah, um, I'm kind of going to bunch those things together because the injury um, and last year, it, it warps kind of my, my thoughts on him and it's kind of changed for sure. I mean, there's probably not a an elite prospect who has lost more stock than Stingley has in these past two years. And it sucks to see, because like you said, like as a true freshman, LSU SEC conference, like this guy was the best defender in, in the nation. It's him and Thibodeau right there. Um, 15 PBUs, six interceptions. Like he, he was doing it all for LSU. And like you said, that playmaker ability, it's really, really hard to find. So I think that's like the main thing that you, you still want to like, um, the main reason why you'd still draft Stingley. It's that playmaking ability. Like not every cornerback can get those interceptions. Sometimes they're just like, they're so good in coverage that they're not even thrown their way. Right. And so they won't see, you know, those those big um, interception numbers. But Stingley does it all. And he kind of reminds me a bit of J.C. Jackson, who's a guy who's leading the NFL in interceptions over the past few years. So that would be kind of my comp for him. Um, So I see, you know, the really big positives with Stingley. And I would understand still taking him in the top 10 
but I don't think yeah. I would take him top three. I would even question taking him top five just because of the past two years. Like you said, it's just been, it started up here and it's really been on a decline and 2020 COVID year for sure. Um, that gives him a bit of an excuse. LSU lost so much talent that gives him a bit of an excuse as well. But at the end of the day, he didn't play well and he had zero interceptions, just five PBUs in his seven games. Um, it showed a lot more issues on tape, in my opinion, and even some tackling issues. Yeah, and, that, yeah, and that showed up against yeah. in 2021. He had some really, really bad moments of tackling. Um, and of course, for a cornerback, that's kind of the nitpicky thing. But when we're talking about these cornerbacks that you're going to take potentially top three, top five, you're talking about the Jalen Ramsey types. What really separates Ramsey, apart from the playmaking, is the tackling. Like He tackles like a linebacker. And so if Stanley doesn't add that to his resume and it's actually a liability, then, I mean, it, I have to dock him some points for that. And so yeah. I, I, you know, I recognize all the great things you talk about Stingley, his playmaking ability, all that stuff, and his potential still being really high. And so I'd still take him top 10, but he has lost some stock for me. And I think he might not even be cornerback one for me this year. Yeah, I think so. You, of any position, I think corner is your your position because is you have to be at the top of your game athletically. Yeah, you've 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 got to have no injuries. You you've got to have fluid hips. You've got to be able to read and react. You've got to be able to keep an eye for the ball. You've got to communicate with your teammates around you. Like it's one of the hardest positions to play. It's one of the hardest positions sure. to transition from college, um, just because the passing game is is so different because you're you it's not spread out as much. And um, I think I, I do see a lot of guys. Um, Still, sort of anointing Stingley as the uh, is is the is the number one guy. I know yeah. you've obviously got Andrew Booth and and Clemson. Um, I watched a bit of the Washington tape just with some of the other games we were watching for this. Trent mm-hmm. Mc, uh, McDuff, he's a, you know he's got attitude. Uh, I think England no more attitude than some of the Cincinnati got Sauce Gardner. So you know that's I think all good players, but some flaws as well. You know they're not the kind of elite prospects that you've seen. So Stingley was meant to be that, and I think there's a kind. Of, you know, some people have got Booth and then some people have got McDuffie um, and I've seen even uh, Khalil Aleem um, out of Florida as well I've seen him kind of up there but it's a mixed bag across the board so I think it's more about pick your style uh, rather yeah. than having you know an obvious one because I think that's for, from a Houston point of view we've never had a shutdown number one mm-hmm. corner who's you know one of your top three or four best guys in your team maybe arguably a couple of first years of Jonathan Joseph he was the highest paid player at one point um, on the defence but um it would be nice to add, but I, I, it feels like it may not be the year for that. Yeah, especially at our pick right now, which we're picking at two. Um, I don't think we'll pick any lower than three um, on the yeah, year. Definitely not. But yeah. so I don't think I would take Singley at two or three. I, I wouldn't take any of the other corners at two or three. Um, but if, like we said in the beginning of this, that Deshaun Watson trade, if we get the 49ers pick, maybe that ends up in the teens somewhere like that in the early 20s. Um, then yeah, definitely all those guys you named. Um, the one I, I'll bring up that you didn't mention is um, Ahmad Gardner. They call him Sauce Gardner. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Cornerback at Cincinnati. He's got the height. He's got long arms. People compare him to Trevon Diggs because he gets a lot of interceptions. Um, so I think he's a guy definitely to to look out for as well. There's a lot of good cornerbacks in this class, man. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of picking what you write for your scheme. And I think that that's the... Yeah. That's the I thought about this last week as well. That I think that this is the trouble now that you've got this kind of coaching stuff. It shouldn't really be here a lot of them. And do you pick players that don't necessarily suit the next scheme? And I think that's the mm. the worry because you know, like particularly corner of any position, it has to be scheme specific. 
um, yeah. and we've seen the last two years, well, a year and a half up to this point, halfway through this year, of guys being asked to do stuff they weren't good at, not being put in a position to succeed, um, and moving on. And you saw that with C.G. Henderson and um, in Jacksonville, you know, it goes ninth overall, and then they're shipping them out because the next coaching staff comes in. So you know, you can have like a, you know a real you know if you, if somebody offered you three top ten picks for Watson, you'd probably take top three ten picks um, over. Yeah you know, mid-teens, 20s, you know, because they're just worth so much more because you get that pick of the bunch. But um, it's a tough one, corner. But, yeah, I, I think if, if 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 you had it and it all fell to you nicely, if you could pick up a pass rusher and a corner to give mm-hmm. you two, you know, cornerstones of this defense, it would be the perfect opening round to the draft, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think speaking to your point about being, like, scheme-specific, like, um, Stingley can do it all. I think Elam, Kyrie Elam and, and Gardner are more like press man types of guys. And then Booth and McDuffie are more of your off coverage, your zone guys. So I think those two would be the ones that would fit the Texans the best. Mm. Um, and then to your point, it's a tough discussion, man. Do you draft for scheme? Do you draft just talents? Um, I think you got to just draft for talent and you got to yeah. force Lovey Smith to say, hey, Lovey, if you do not switch up your scheme, like, hey, we gave you this first year. We tried it your way. We played Tampa too. We didn't disguise anything. It didn't work. All right. Next year, if you're not going to adjust your scheme to these players that we brought in, you're done. You know, so I think we just got to go talent um, and then hope Lovey can can make some adjustments. And if he can't, he's out of here. Bring in the next DC. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. So look at the edge rusher, because I mean, this is a position the team haven't invested in. It goes right back to when they let Jadavian Clowney go. There was no replacement, really. Jonathan Greenard's been a nice addition to this team this year, yeah. but he's going to be a number two and a number three on a good team, um, you know, or a relief okay. guy or a positional or a, or a situational rusher. Um, but, he, you know, he, he is your perfect sort of complement to a, to a dominant rusher, I think. And he'll, yeah. he'll, 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 you know, if you get somebody in the middle that can give you some pressure up, up the gut. You know, he's a guy that will clean up and make sides because he's just a, he's a smart, smart football. And you've seen that this year. Um, you know, I think his numbers are probably maybe been a little bit inflated versus his actual, you know, raw tape, but, but it was stuff. But the guy you brought up, um, so this week, myself and Jordan, I've got five prospects each kind of, um, I've probably gone a little bit out of the lines just with my various ones I've picked up. But you, your first guy, uh, Jordan, was uh, Ian Hutchinson um, from Michigan. Do you want to, you want to run through him? Yeah, so Aiden Hutchinson, he's a senior um, edge prospect. He's 6'6", 265. Um, For me, he's the second best edge behind Kayvon Thibodeau. And in most years, he could be the best edge defender, but Kayvon is just a freak. Um, He's a top three overall player for me as well. I think I go Kayvon and then you can put it Aiden Hutchinson or you can put it Kyle Hamilton. However you want to put it, those are my top three this year. Um, I think he can be that alpha pass rusher. We just talked about John Grenard being, you know, maybe, maybe more of the Robin to your Batman and Aiden Hutchinson. He can be your Batman. He can be your alpha guy. Um, He's done that for Michigan this year. He has, Six sacks, seven and a half tackle for losses in nine games. Um, he's third in the nation in pressure percentage. So I talked about how Thibodeau was first. Um, Hutchinson's third at 18.3% pressure percentage. Um, in terms of things like traits on the field that I love about him and why I think he's going to translate, um, he's just such a feisty guy in the, in the trenches. Nonstop motor, super physical. He just looks like he hates being blocked. And so he's constantly using his hands to get off you. He's got good speed. He's got good power and he's got good technique. That's the crazy thing about Hutchinson is he is a freak athlete, but he also has really, really good technique. I think he's got better technique than, than Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, really good rush plan, really good counter moves. 
a wide variety of pass rush moves. Like he really does it all. There's not many holes in, in Hutchinson's game. Um, just to play devil's advocate and throw out one of the things that you'll hear um, they'll knock down his stock is, is that he reportedly has short arms, but that's literally it. Other than that, mm-hmm. like he is as clean of an edge prospect as you could imagine. So I'm very high on Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. And he's got a bit of a go-to with the, sw- the swim move as well. So, saw that a yeah. couple of times flash on tape um, kind of dips and rips a bit. Um, he's got a, quite a good sort of kind of push pull action as well. He doesn't really bend the edge as much as I thought he might do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's obviously, and I, I, well, there's two things that made me think about. We'll see what you think, John. He's got David Ajabo on the other side of him, who's you know come out. He's yeah. a guy I've been aware of because he's actually originally from Scotland. Um, yes, yes. So, uh, so, so, been aware of a couple of guys that kind of kept in touch with him that I know that they've they've been hot on him for a long time now. Um, so he he's a guy that, that that's obviously you know lead, you know other get other players open up opportunities for him. So he's got somebody yeah. across from that's helping him as well. And I think. Probably about a year ago, I don't think he would have been in this discussion. I know he's in, he's, he's he's jumped up his playing strength. Mm-hmm. You can see that if you watch even the 2019 stuff. And I think his playing strength jumped right up, and he, he looks a different player in that in that in that sense. So without that without that um, ability to bend the edge, I wonder not doing it in the previous years to the level he's doing it. Is there a bit of a risk there considering? He's helped with and he's and he's kind of not one year one year wonder production wise, mm-hmm. but it's certainly been a big jump from last year. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair fair criticism. I mean, six sacks this year, but last year it was zero. Um, now it was mainly because of the injury. He only played two games, um, yeah. so that's a big reason why. But then in twenty nineteen, sophomore year, three and a half sacks, ten sack, ten tackles for loss, and that was in a full season. So, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. You look at a guy, he puts up three and a half sacks. You're not thinking he's going to be a, a first round pick, let alone the hype he's getting, top five, top ten. Um, but I think this year, I think it's the the steps that he's taken in, like you said, the strength and also the technique. Um, when you're not that guy who's going to bend the edge every time, like a Kayvon Thibodeau, like you just beat him off the snap and you can bend um, really easily, you have to supplement in an, in an area. And he supplements with his technique. Like you said, so many different moves. He's got the swim, got the push-pull. He's got the side scissors. He's got a good rip. Like he really does it all. And so he kind of reminds me a lot of the Bosa brothers. Those guys, yeah. very good athletes, maybe not elite elite in terms of the bend, um, I know they both had bad like three cone drills. And so that kind of talks about your agility. And I'll kind of expect Hutchinson to be similar in that sense. Um, but they still get the job done because they're such good technicians. So those are the guys I kind of compare him to them and uh, Max Crosby, the guy for the Raiders, who's been yeah. really breaking out. He's I just compare him those two because um, Crosby and Hutchinson both have really elite motors and they just like hate to be blocked. And so they're just constantly fighting and fighting. And I think that's an element of the trenches that you definitely need. Um, just that non-stop like grit and toughness. Um, and so I would really like him to be drafted to Texans. I think he'd be paired really well with Grenard. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, you know, if, if Thibodeau goes, I think the next team on the board, there is a good chance he will take that. Um, and I was looking at edge rushers after you sent me your list first and I thought, well, I, I tried to find a couple, well, I was looking through the guys, he got like Drake Jackson, USC, really big fluid athlete for his size looks like he could be a good rusher kind of questionable technique but you know he's mm-hmm. he's up there as a sort of second sort of late first kind of prospect um uh, adam anderson's another one um uh, sanders at cincinnati as well when i was watching a bit of the the gardener yeah. tape i think yeah he's definitely he definitely flashed at times but he looks a little bit undersized 
So th- there's a lot of guys that are kind of uh, hovering around there. Now there's Kingsley uh, Engadabari, I think I'm saying that right, uh, from South Carolina. He looks like a, a real prospect, but he's one guy. So the, I, I, I sort of nailed it down to him. And then the guy I actually picked to look into, I really enjoyed his tape. And there's some there's some people that have got him in top top three in the draft, and there's some people that have got him, you know, late second round. Um, is George Kalaftis or Karlaftis? Um, he's actually a Greek national. Didn't move to the US until like his, his teenage years. Um, he, he was a shot put player, just a just an athlete. And I think when you watch his game, it's not developed. So you know, if you if you go Thibodeau, Hutchison, far better run defenders. Um, yeah. He gets caught inside his eyes. There's a, there's a couple of plays. I watched the tape against uh, Iowa uh, and Notre Dame because uh, I thought, you know, quality pedigree lineman get yeah. a good feel for it. And I really liked his tape. Now this was one thing you learn about kind of when you're doing a bit of scouting is actually when you watch the, the Michigan State Spartans game at the weekend for Purdue, so, um, didn't do much, didn't contribute a whole amount. So you know that game was was not was not his best tape. So you know you've got to take a sample size. You've got to take it on account. So you know some some of the games he was disruptive, getting the backfield. He's got a great bend on the edge. You know which you know probably got that edge over Aiden Hutchison in that sense. Uh, but he, yeah, six four two seven five pedig- pedigree three four outside. Uh, well, th- sorry, uh, three four defensive end. Uh, four three. Uh, the end, but I think he's he's definitely got a lot of ceiling in there. Um, he just kind of mm-hmm. dominant, dominant bend on the edge, and I think that there's a there's a guy there that's really un un unrefined at this stage. His 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 floor is probably you know a little bit lower than some of the guys we just mentioned there, but I think the guy's ceiling could potentially be, you know, really high. He's got a really a strong bull rush. He's got a great snatch kind of uh, pulling. Um, pull move, he long arms guys, um, and as well as bend around the edge, so he can kind of attack you different ways. Mm-hmm. I think as well. Um, weaknesses, he does give up his chest a lot. Kind of gets cut, caught locked up, and that's what came up on the tape on on the weekend there against um, uh, the Spartans. That he just kind of kind of gets locked up and kind of gets out of games. Eyes get a bit lazy at times and loses loses track of the the, the flow of the run. Um, so yeah, I think he's a guy that I think could have a huge ceiling, um, but. He's one of these guys, you know. It uh, it's it's kind of got that uh, Amoki Akoi vibes, you know. I think there's there's potentially something yeah. there that you could just it's it's a ball of clay, but just less refined and less uh, seasoned as a football player. I think for sure, yeah. I think I think Boomer Bust kind of comes to my mind when I think about him. Like you said, he's raw, um, and I think it was interesting, like what you said about depending on what game you watch of him, basically, like you're going to have a very, you could have a very different opinion on him unless you watch every, every single game of the season that's really available. So I, I watched two mainly. Um, I watched Iowa and then I watched versus Oregon state, Iowa game. This guy looked better than Kayvon Thibodeau. He was unblockable yeah, versus yeah. Iowa. Absolutely insane. And he was really, really good with his hands in that game showed off multiple moves like you said just different ways to win and so i'm thinking okay i gotta rethink this i might actually have to rank him over hutchinson but then i watched the oregon state game and he disappeared for most of it and you're not seeing his name getting into the backfield very often and so like you said that consistency is definitely a big thing um but he has the athletic traits that if you got good coaches that you can trust um, and if you believe in his work ethic, those types of intangibles, then yeah, he can hit that ceiling. I think he can probably be a guy who he'll have a few double digit sack seasons, but it'll probably average around like seven to nine, 
in that sense, just because he has to take such big jumps in the technique department really to, to become that alpha guy. So I don't know. I like Carl Loftus for sure. I think he's probably top 10 talents. I think he's going to be edge number three for me, which is very, very good in this class still. Um, but yeah, comparing him to guys like Hutchinson, comparing him to guys like Thibodeau, um, I just wish he was more consistent for sure. And it all comes down to the technique. So that's coachable. Like I said before, um, so yeah, I'm I'm a Karloff this fan. Yeah, and um, staying on the defensive side of the ball, we've got a number of these to try and rattle through. Um, yeah, but the, the there was this guy made a number of plays uh, where you just sit and go, "Whoa, what the now?" And you have to watch it a couple of times to understand just exactly what he's done. Um, and Kyle Hamilton, uh, I heard his coach uh, Brian Kelly calls him the eraser, um, <laughs> and he he does that. Um, and I just wrote down range, ball skills, yeah. awareness, and he can do so many things. They line up him, line him in the slot. He goes up against tight ends. He goes up against wide receivers. He can he can go he can go and jam guys at the line of scrimmage. Um, his read and react ability was just was I've not seen a player like that for a long time. And I suppose he there was a fourth and one against Purdue um, when I was watching the Karlaftis tape. Uh, that uh, he just knifes in the backfield in the fourth and one. Just awareness gets downhill, makes a play, um, and he comes out in the zone against. Uh, he blitz off the line of scrimmage. Um, there's he gets a lucky interception in that Purdue game. But if you watch him against Bama in in twenty twenty, um, going up against the cast of wide receivers, Mac Jones slinging it. Um, and he, he he makes some mistakes in that game, and he makes a mistake against Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago as well. He just kind of gets caught underneath the yeah. ball. So what the only question is, I've not seen him is in coverage. You know, if people were to go at him down after down after down, because in college people avoid him. Um, you know how how good he's how good his coverage ability would be if he's getting tested and tested. And I think that's probably where he needs to work on his game. But um, at six four two twenty, he's a lean two twenty. The guy is huge. And I've not seen many players like that, Jordan. And I think when I watched his tape, I thought this guy could impact your defense on every single play. And I don't know if he can necessarily always say that, but Idris, we're talking about twenty percent of the time is 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 top end success, whereas this guy can be involved thirty four percent of the play. But normally. People won't draft a safety this high, and I thought he's a really interesting case of could you take this guy? And the more I watched them, I was struck. Apart from that, that touchdown against Cincinnati, I was struggling for find reasons why you wouldn't want to take him if he's there sitting at two or three. Yeah, definitely. I I agree with you. Normal conventional thinking, like you're not taking a safety at at two or three because. Even if you think about it, even if Kyle Hamilton ends up being the best safety in the NFL, like who's the best safety in the NFL right now? And, and how really important is he into that team's success? Like maybe it's Derwin James, Minka Fitzpatrick, someone like that. But there's always paired with someone else, always paired with like, you know, a better player, like a, a TJ Watt or Joey Bosa. You know what I mean? So I, I totally understand that part of the argument that a lot of people are going to bring up. But like you said, it's so hard not to love this guy. And it's not that he's just a safety, right? So it's like you're drafting a safety, a nickel corner, a linebacker, all in one in the top three. And so when you put it like that, you talk about his versatility, then it makes a lot more sense to take him as high as he's being mocked. And he's good at all those positions. He can play either safety position, um, free. He can play strong. He's got the range for free. He's got the physicality and tackling for strong. 
Um, he played, he's, I believe he's played nickel corner the most out of all of his snaps this year for Notre Dame. And so he's kind of been that star defender where it's like a hybrid between the nickel and the linebacker. So you really need that star defender to be able to tackle in the run game. And that's a position that in Lovey Smith's Tampa two, um, it's so, so pivotal, so, so pivotal because the reason why that it works, the Tampa two works is because you can play with those two safeties deep, which obviously takes one safety out of the box, but if you have that star defender, he kind of acts as your other box defender to, to still defend the run while having those two safeties deep to be a versus the pass. So seeing that and Kyle Hamilton execute that part of Notre Dame's defense so, so well, you can see how it can translate to the Texans. You can really see how he can play multiple positions for the Texans defense and still have a great impact. Um, yeah. My comp for him is definitely... I think it's Derwin James. I think that was the first name I mentioned because he does it all. Just like Derwin, he's built like a linebacker. He can blitz, he can cover, he can defend the run. Like you said, makes an impact on every single play, basically all three downs, all phases of the game. So I'm a big, big Kyle Hamilton fan as well, man. It's, it's going to be hard to pass him up. My only gripe about him is that I'm not sure Lovey would have a good enough plan to use him. Right. We're seeing like, he has struggled to put a lot of our defenders into the right position. Like he's making Desmond King play outside cornerback. Um, Justin Reed's playing strong safety instead of free safety because Lonnie Johnson is playing free safety. And so when you have a player like Kyle Hamilton, who can do so many things, um, you have to make sure you have like a distinct plan for him as to what he's going to do. And I'm yeah. just not sold on Lovey being the guy for that. But like we said before, Kyle Hamilton is just one of those guys that, hey, he might not be amazing in terms of, you know, you trust your defensive coordinator to use him, but it's just the talent. Just get him on your team um, and worry about the rest later. So, yeah, I, love I think, Hamilton. I mean, everybody saw that highlight play where he runs from the far hash right to the far, the far mm-hmm. sideline to pick off the ball against Florida State. Um, there was, a, there was a, a play in that Rose Bowl game against Bama on 20, but he just knife right in the backfield, yeah. takes down Najee Harris. You can see by Harris's reaction, he knew he was gone but just open field tackling, range, everything you want in that position. Um, as I said, just a couple of knocks in terms of, there's a couple of pre-snap alignments where he got and he got caught underneath the play and things like that. So kind of some coaching, but, you know, and there's no perfect prospect, but yeah, he was one of those players that thought, can he, you know, impact your, you know, your defense every down potentially. Look, if you drop him in this defense without any help, probably doesn't make you all that much better and he's going to have some hard yeah. days, but um but it's a, it's, a, it's a very interesting case study. And I think if, if he's sitting there and you're third or fourth in the ranking, you think, well, it'd be hard not to pull the trigger. But um, but yeah, definitely definitely a, a prospect I really enjoyed watching. Um, we tried to pick a couple of top-end examples. Um, and the guy you outlined um, right at the top of the draft, he'll probably go top five, if not top three. Um, I don't think I've seen as many kind of complete tackles as that. We have had a couple of good classes Last year, a little bit less so, um, but the the uh, the uh, twenty nineteen class was sorry the twenty twenty class was actually really good twenty one less mm-hmm. so. But um, Evan Neal, Alabama, Jordan, you thought he was one one guy well worth putting on people's radar. Yeah, for sure. I think he's after those three defenders, um, Thibodeau, Hutchinson, and Hamilton. I think you got to put Evan Neal, and then I would put Stingley in that next order in terms of like big board ranking. Those would be my top five guys for sure. And so I think Evan Neal is the best offensive prospect in this entire class. Um, like you said, he is a freak of a tackle. And not only has he played tackle, but he's played left guard. He's played right tackle. He's played left tackle. And so we, as Texans fans, we are kind of um, 
have some nightmares about offensive line being moving around a lot, but he actually has the versatility to do it. And so because we don't know really where Titus is going to play, if Tunsil's still going to be on the team or not, drafting Evan Neal is kind of like a, it's kind of like a safety type of thing. Like, you know, he can play wherever you want. And so you can get those, those three guys, Tunsil, Neal, and Howard, and just move them around and figure it out and then set them there and you're good. And so I, I love his ability to be a road grader in, in the run game. He's just a mauler. He really brings the, the attitude, the physicality, the toughness um, into the trenches that this Texans offensive line does not have. I mean, they are the worst run blocking offensive line in the entire NFL. And so getting Neil would be a great, great start to uh, improve that. I think he's best in like gap and power blocking schemes, but he can do zone too. Like he's still a very, very good athlete. Um, so he can make all those types of blocks in the run game. And then he's very dependable in pass pro too. Just super strong dude. I mean, he's six, seven, three sixty. got super long arms. They are like tree trunks of arms. Like they're thick, like this, you're not going to just bull rush this dude whatsoever. So I really like Evan Neal. Um, I think in terms of weaknesses, there's a few reps where he can struggle with like the really freakish athletes um, in terms of pass rushing skills and their, and their quickness off the snap. So I'd be a little bit wary of that, but overall, like you said, he's a very well-rounded tackle prospect and this is a really good tackle class as well. Last year, like you said, was good, but this year um, is again. So Evan, will be definitely be a guy on my radar. Yeah, I think so. He, he looks ready. I mean, obviously people have seen them doing the, the it was what, 360 pounds and he's doing the box jump at that. Yeah. Height. He's obviously just a well put together athlete. Um, he's not top heavy. Like sometimes you see tackles. Um, he's definitely pro ready. I think he's got the lowest floor of everybody. I think it's interesting. Brandon Thorne, who obviously, if you watch in a bit of old line, you got to trust his opinion. He's got uh, the guy from North Carolina State, Ikem Konowu. Um, again, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But he's got him as the best, is the best uh, run blocker, and as well as versatile schemes. So you know, if if mm-hmm. if just say he fell and you had another pick in the in the top end, he's a guy you can maybe pick. And a guy who's just done unbelievable to. If you if you look at the if you compare last year to this year, um, Charles Cross at Mississippi State, yeah. just like these stocks just arisen. Predominantly, as a pass blocker, a bit a bit of work to do from the the one game that I watched in the, in the run game. But but yeah, there's some guys, and then there's a whole kind of bunch of guys that come after the, those three of the kind of top three picks. But there'll probably someday emerge um, for that. Mm-hmm. Darren Kennard from K- Kentucky as well. He's a kind of guy that's that's in the mix, and then it's kind of pick your pick your. Uh, Pick, pick your poison at, at that stage but it'd be interesting it would be, it would be an interesting prospect if we did go offensive tackle if that meant we'd maybe move people out or we'd moved on from other players or look to maybe you know take one of those guys um, because you know I think internally in this draft as well uh, from Tyler Labron with uh, the, the guy Green from Texas A&M because I watched quite a few of his games last year oh I love when, when we when we took uh, McCollum um, um that I think you know that, that and then obviously let him go because we didn't protect any players, but um, <laughs> and then end up starting another center. But yeah, I watched quite a few of his games last year as well. So yeah, I think there's definitely um, you know some some value to be to be had at that position. Um, if you were to if you were to pick one right now, just say Thibodeau's off the board. Who would you who would you take? Have you given all the all those ones we've talked about? If I'm drafting a two or three, yeah, yeah, it's definitely Evan Neal. Um, yeah. I think he is just the most well-rounded of them and the freakiest athlete of them. And I really love Charles Cross. I really, really love him. I think he might, he could be a better pass protector than Neil potentially just because he's super, super, um, 
quick laterally. Um, but Neil's run blocking, like that's what this Texans line really needs. It's it's the run blocking. So yeah. I would go with him. Yeah, I think so. And I think Tyler Labrum from from Iowa's, you know, I think it's probably it was described to me as the best center since um mm-hmm. yeah, is, it, is it Kelly at uh came out, was it Alabama when he's at the Colts? Um you yep. know, just a guy day one, you just plug in, you don't have to worry about it for ten years, you know, sort of thing. So you know, again, if you're in the in the top the top end, and then watched a little bit of Zion uh, Johnson as well at Boston College, and I just thought, again, just you know, prototypical. It's the same schools that turn out the same players at the same yeah. positions, a bit more often than not. But yeah, again, another sort of plug and play guy at the top end of the draft. Um, very briefly before we go into this next prospect, Jordan, it was Malik Willis versus Matt Corral this weekend. Right. I thought uh, I thought Willis just looked like he was trying to do too much. He just, um, conti- conti- sorry, Malik Walker, not Willis. <laughs> um, it's Walker, isn't it? It's Willis. Willis, oh, I was right first yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. you got uh, it. Yeah, I was thinking, of yeah, <laughs> so many names in my head just now, but yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was, it was, he just looked like he was doing too much. It reminded me when, do you remember that terrible performance in 2019 at, at uh, at Baltimore when Deshaun was just running around trying to do everything he possibly uh, could just overplay and he threw two bad picks um, it was all pretty much run game there wasn't much in the passing game mm-hmm. apart from a couple of comebacks and and and, uh, and what have you and I think when you watch that and then the other side of the field I think Matt Corral's got a great run game he's got some great pro ready mm-hmm. linemen that are not quite ready to come out yet um, and he kind of sort of sits but that doesn't have to do a huge amount I think it was two opposite extremes but I don't think it, either of them are probably worthy of a maybe a late first. Um, but it's it's tough to see. I think between those two guys right now. Yeah, those are definitely I think quarterback one and quarterback two for sure. That's where they've kind of cemented themselves. And I think, like you said, the talent difference between Ole Miss and between Liberty was just too much to to overcome from Malik Willis. And that's been a question mark for him all season. Yeah, I think it was like eight in the first half. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now in the second half, they had a bit better of a game plan and they actually used him on designed runs. And so that, you know, it slowed down the Ole Miss rush a little bit. So he settled down a little bit, but overall definitely on the day was not um, the performance that you really wanted him to see because the biggest question on him is how does he deal with better competition? And this is the prime game. How does he do? Doesn't look too good. So it's definitely going to be a bit of a blunder on his resume. Now, I would say that one game doesn't like make or break a prospect, but it's definitely um, not the ideal thing that you want to see. So I'm higher on Matt Corral than Malik Willis. Um, I think, like you said, you do have to take into account that Corral has a lot better surroundings, a lot better situation around him. But I think he's just, he reminds me and people aren't going to like this comparison because of how fans feel about this guy right now. But Matt Corral reminds me a lot of college Deshaun Watson, so much of him. Um, they're both like very good athletes, but you know, not elite, you know, very good, um, runners in terms of, um, using their legs as a weapon, but they're not maybe like Lamar Jackson, um, both very good arms. They can make all the throws, but you know, again, it's not like a cannon, like Josh Allen or anything like that, or Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think they both, um, played in an offense that made it a bit easier for them. Like both have a lot of screen game, both have a lot of RPO, some pretty good weapons. Um, and then they're both like my favorite thing about Corral. My favorite thing about Watson in college is that they're both cu- tough competitors who were clutch when it comes to third and fourth down, Matt Corral is so clutch. 
And so I saw that with Watson as well. And so that's why the two of them, I, I make that a bit of a, a comparison there. So I like Matt Corral a lot. I would probably still take him early teens. I would take him probably as early yeah. as 10. Um, and then any anywhere later than that. I like Corral a lot. Yeah, I think he'll go first. I, I, I saw one of his games earlier in the year. Um, I took away the same thing. Good run game just as he plays within the scheme. Mm-hmm. That, that, and that may well be down to his mental discipline in it, depending on what situation he finds himself in. He may flourish, he may flounder. But I thought he he got up, I think he threw a pick where it was a fumble by the running back and he went over and he tackled the, the ball carrier straight away. Yeah. It just shows you what a competitor he is. Um, I, I think he, he get in the right spot, he could, he could do a job for a team. I don't know if he will or not, but um, mm-hmm. interesting. So a little bit of Desmond Ritter, not quite sure on that but one guy who I was actually really quite surprised at and he's been at college for a number of years was a guy you picked out yeah uh, for Pittsburgh uh Kenny Pickett I mean his interception to touchdown ratio is great his passing accuracy is the best of his career he's a little bit older I think he'll be 24 by the time he, he the next season starts um so there's a little bit there of just that now in general gameplay and, and what have you but what do you think of Kenny Pickett he certainly seems like the most kind of pro ready guy certainly in the system that he's in right now yeah, he definitely does. Um, he's a fifth year senior. Like you said, he's on the older side. Um, but that experience, you really see it on tape and it kind of gives him that higher floor. Like you said, um, it kind of reminds me a bit of Mac Jones in that sense, where if you give him some good weapons, like he can be a starter, starter quality um, quarterback from day one. And you have that side of him where the mental game is really good. Decision making is good. He can make full field reads. He operates a pro style offense. So that gives you that high floor, but then he also has the athletic traits that gives him like a pretty high ceiling. Like he's got a very good arm. He can make all the throws. He's very, very athletic as well. Like he gets out of the pocket really easily. Um, Good wheels. Like he can run as well. So I think in terms of the high floor and the relatively high ceiling, like that's a very good bet to take on a quarterback um, who's being projected like late first round, early second round. So I'm a big fan of Kenny Pickett. He was actually the first player that I scouted um, of this class. And I was just blown away. I was like, why aren't people talking about this dude? Like what's going on? And then he even took another jump. So I love him. Um, I think the only thing that he can, he should really work to improve on um, is just anticipating route concepts a bit better. I think sometimes he needs to, and it was the same thing with the Sean Watson is that he needs to see it come open before he throws it rather than, anticipating throwing window and throwing the ball before the wide receivers are going to break. So that's the one main thing I would say to work on for him, but yeah, amazing year so far, 68% completion percentage, 29 to three touchdown to interception ratio. And he's driving the ball downfield too, 9.3 yards per attempt. That's a career high as well. So he's willing to throw the ball deep. He'll throw it all levels of the field. Um, I'm a big pickup fan. Yeah. I think there's a lot there to like, I think I watched the Tennessee tape. There's a couple of balls that kind of sail on them early. Um, he sometimes trusts his arms. He said he does have to see it come open. There's not a huge amount of anticipation there. See, so he, he's probably got such a, a high floor just because of, the you know, as you said, being in the college system for five years at Pittsburgh there. So interesting prospect. He might be one of these guys, you know, you take later in the second round. And he, you know, and if you get three or four years at these guys and, and they can play, and it might not necessarily be a starter every week, but, you know, having these guys in your building at the most important position is, is definitely something is something to to consider, but it's such a mixed bag with the quarterback year. There's no there's no three or four guys lining up. Not there necessarily has been the last few years, but certainly it's uh, deja vu a bit in terms of what a, a a signal caller right at the top. I don't think there's going to be be any this year. Yeah, it's tough, and I think even 
even though this is a weaker quarterback class, um, I think we can learn a good lesson from last year's quarterback class that everyone praised as, as an amazing one, right? Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, it's rare, and Mac Jones. It's rare to have that many guys at the top. But we're seeing that like these guys need time to develop. Like they're not all pro ready. They're not all ready to just come in day one and, and, and shoot the lights off. Right. So yeah. I think we can learn that and apply that to this class as well. Like have patience with Matt Corral, have patience with Malik Willis. Those are the two guys that I think have the highest ceiling. And so I think they would also be guys that would benefit a lot from sitting behind a veteran for half a season or a season, however long it may take. And just don't rush them into things. And especially in the Texans scenario where their offense, like no one's going to play well behind that. No one really will. Like Tyrod can do a little bit better. He had a horrible game, probably worst game of his career versus Miami, but he'll do a little bit better than Davis Mills will. But on a whole, it's not a good situation to throw a rookie quarterback into. So no, whoever the Texans want to take, if they even take a quarterback this year, maybe they don't. Um, yeah. I would I would say definitely to uh, to uh, let them sit for as long as yeah. they can. Just be patient. Yeah, I think so. And it's going to be two to three drafts before we start building a roster again that's respectable. So I think it's kind of plus some good free agent signings in there. So take bringing a guy in that and 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 put you know and put forcing the issue is not going to do anybody mm-hmm. any favors. I've got two offensive prospects. Want to run through really quickly? There's a common theme here, uh, and it's speed. You can't teach it. Um, yep. And two guys, I think this year out of any year, and this was kind of why I was surprised we didn't move on from Brandon Cooks because it's the easiest position to draft. Yeah. these days um, a wide receiver I think there's going to be a huge kind of kind of fall down of uh, of definitely kind of uh, there's going to be you know you've probably got 12-15 guys in any year that can come in and and contribute day one you've seen that every every sort of class in the last while so uh, uh, Jameson Williams so actually was a strange prospect because he, he's an Ohio State transfer he was in the in the uh, in college, uh, sorry, then in high school, he had the option to go to either Alabama or Ohio State, and he chose uh, he chose James he he chose uh, Ohio State there, but he's just a burner. He probably will be, he probably will say, you know, I don't know if he'll, he'll be up the John Ross kind of stakes there in the, in the forty time at, at the combine, but he's got a chance. Um, and I think whether it's on screens, whether it's on punt returns, whether it's on uh, it's on just just got great hands. I think you know the the questions about these speed guys. You know, and a, and a replacement for the sort of Will Fuller type, who every offense needs can stretch the field every every week. He, he's he's making a highlight real play, just gets him. But the safeties are giving themselves five, ten, fifteen yards sometimes, spacing behind, and, and he's beating them to the ball. Um, and I think it's uh, he's such a weapon to have. And I think just because of the depth of that, the the fact that the position is devalued versus those couple of top ones, you could get him in the second, maybe even early third round, because we'll be picking high, so you always get that little bit extra yep. value at the start of the next round. So I think. Jameson Williams for me is just a guy that's going to be speed and he's, he's going to open up the field and stretch an offense. And look, he he may blow up the combine and go and go you know late first, early second. Um, but with with the depth of that position potentially not. Obviously, you've got the big guys, Drake London, USC. You got the two kids for Ohio mm-hmm. State. Um, you know, you've got Justin Ross at Clemson. So there's there's so many guys that are the prototypical kind of uh ex receiver. And this guy plays the Z or he can play the slot. So he's a guy that I like a lot. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad you brought up that name because I absolutely love him too. I felt like I was higher on him than, than I guess the consensus, but um, I'm with you on that for sure. I think he's going to end up being my wide receiver, either three or four, like he's going to be in my top five for sure. Um, But because you just can't teach that speed, like you said, 
Um, and you did a great job breaking down his game. I think what I'll add is you brought up Will Fuller and that's my player comp for him. It's Will Fuller, but with better hands and better hamstrings because Definitely no one can catch this guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no one can catch this guy in the open field. You can move him around in the slot or at Z, like you said. Um, and his speed, his ability, even as a route runner, like I think he is actually a pretty underrated route runner. Um, he uses head fakes pretty well. He knows how to attack defenders leverage. He absolutely kills off coverage. Um, the only thing I'll say is he should probably get a little bit stronger and to be yeah. press, yeah, but yeah. that's, that's about it. Like with how good he is versus off coverage and how dangerous he is deep, like he can have some, he'll have some time to develop that other parts of his game. So I absolutely love him. Um, I think he's the first round talent all day, but yeah, definitely might slip to the early second. I don't think he'll get out of the top 50 picks, to be honest. He's, he's yeah. really, really good. Yeah. yeah. You just never know with that position. There's so many, there's so many like value picks to find at wide receiver just because the, yeah. the, the, the mass that are coming out. He's listed at 100, uh, 188, and I don't think he is that <laughs> looking at his frame. So yeah, he will definitely need to bulk up, try and get off press man at the line of scrimmage. Um, but yeah, definitely a guy I think he, he may well, depending on his combine time, might, you know, make it overdrafted. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see on that. But um, another guy that I really liked as well um, was Kenneth Walker at Michigan State. Um, he's a Wake Forest transfer, but again, just speed. Um, but he's he's well put together. He's only 5'10", uh, but he's 210 pounds. He's listed it there. And, but he run, he, he's one of these guys that doesn't actually look like he's running all that fast on the table, yeah. but nobody catches him. Uh, he's he's probably scheme versatile. He's he, he's got really good vision at line of scrimmage. He scored five touchdowns against Michigan the other week there. So it was he scored fifteen on the season already. Uh, he's racked up over thirteen hundred yards. He's got probably scheme versatility that will make him probably go reasonably early. And I think he's up there in the conversation for the top three at the position. Um, whether teams start taking running backs again this year, you just never know. There's usually a run on them. Um, but there's yeah. de- you know there's definitely a number of guys there you know um, Isaiah Spiller at Texas A&M really exciting prospect but what what I thought gave the uh, Walker the edge was just the fact that he just he can just put his foot in the ground and go he's got a great a great habit of letting the play develop and then one cut inside or outside and taking it taking it into space and people struggle to catch him at that point so kind of really good that, and I think the, the the knock on him is can he be a three down back but I think in college when it's when it's you know he's had ten receptions this year, so he's kind of addressed that in some sense. When you think everything goes to wide receivers, even the tight ends in most of the college, apart from you know the Big Ten schools or what have you, are, are uh, you know are wide receivers in essence anyway. So he's definitely he's definitely uh, attacked that um, perception in a way. But I think there's definitely a lot there to like speed, power, um, scheme, versatility. I think he's a guy that you know can can uh, give your offense some excitement, something that we desperately need at the running back position for so long now. Yeah, definitely. Um, you basically everything you said is basically what I have from my from my notes on him, pros and cons, everything. So I won't like re regurgitate basically everything you said. I think the only thing I'll add, talking about the the three down back, um, I'm not worried about him in terms of like the receiving game, the pass game. I think he's definitely got the athleticism for that, the jump cuts, like you said, to to make guys uh, miss in terms of those routes in space. But I think it's the pass protection that might hurt him. So you, he might not be as dependable in that sense, because I don't know, from what I saw, it just seemed like um, he was a little bit slow to process like blitzes and stuff like that, which guy to pick up. And so I think that can come with experience and, and, and it can be improved over time for sure. But that's why for me, he's a bit, 
he's running back three for me behind Spiller, like you said, and behind Kyron Williams, because both those guys are, are more complete. But as a pure runner, yeah, this guy's an absolute freak. <laughs> he is a big play waiting to happen for sure. He's going to have multiple 50, 60, 70 yard touchdowns um, when his career is done. So he's going to be an electric guy. I think he's probably going to be a guy who gets overdrafted. Um, I don't see him getting out of the, the second round for sure. Yeah, I think so. I think Kyron Williams is like the guy who's probably leans a bit more towards that kind of scat back, but he's probably got the three down potential. Like he's yeah. coming from the other angle. Uh, and then uh, Brees Hall at Iowa State as well. I think he's a guy that's going to be up there as in the conversation. And again, it's kind of pick your poison sort mm-hmm. of kind of stuff there. But yeah, look, if we can add some speed, add some excitement in this uh, grueling offense at times to watch whoever's <laughs> calling the plays next year. But I think yeah. they could definitely benefit. Um, staying with the big schools, uh, Jordan, uh, you were looking at Alabama's inside linebacker, Henry Toto. Is that right? I think it's Toto. I don't really know, to be honest. I have a lot of difficult ones this year, I think. It is always, always. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of him. So another third transfer we're talking about in a row. He transferred from Tennessee, um, came to Alabama. And it's funny because Alabama, like when you think about Alabama's defense right now, you think about Christian Harris in terms of linebackers. That's where people, yeah. they always think he's like a first round linebacker. And if you watch the two play together, you'll see such a big difference in in their talent level. And I think the main thing that sticks out to me is that Henry Toto has really quick instincts. He reads plays really, really quickly. And so he's always reacting quickly and going to the ball even before the play develops, whereas Harris is a bit slower in that regard. And so seeing the contrast between those two, it really elevated my my opinion of, of I'm just going to call him Henry. I'm just going to call him Henry because that's easier. Yeah. But I think he's is a, a day one ready um, run defender. He's a little bit undersized for the position. I think he's like 6'2", 2", 2 210 or 220 something like that but he's a small linebacker especially for a mike linebacker um but i think he's perfect for the lovey smith scheme because we get we have a bunch of undersized linebackers who are just freak athletes and and good in coverage and so that's what henry is really great instincts in the run game and really good flashes of moments in in pass coverage as well he's not perfect there he definitely needs some refinement but because he's so athletic he's got really fluid hips good change of direction ability and he's got enough instincts there um, where he kind of knows what's going on in terms of route combinations and stuff like that. So I think he can be the Texans like Mike linebacker of the future um, in Lobby Smith scheme or in, in any other scheme, really. So he's one of those guys who just I'm going to pound the table for him. Just draft him wherever you need to. Um, I absolutely love him. Yeah, I think it's I think he's one of these guys that like, inside linebackers, a position you can potentially get later on. Yeah. Um, and I've, I'm actually going to pull a fastball on you here and change my sleeper because when I was I was trying <laughs> to look for your guy uh, on the same team, Indiana, uh, it's um, me, it's Mika McFadden. I love 47. him too. He's he's the inside linebacker, and I remember when Cutley described Garrett Waller was a football playing Jesse, but like <laughs> he's not really that. If if if, I, if I'm interpreting that phrase right. But this mm-hmm. guy is. I think he can cover the pass. He's he's a, he's a potential maybe year two starting Mike linebacker. You probably get him out the top hundred, um, just at that that position, just being perhaps slightly devalued. I think in terms of, in terms of that position. But he, he makes tackles for loss in the backfield. He understands the game. His football IQ is sky high. You can see when he makes plays that he's he he's read he's read it. He's got downhill and he's reacting, and he can cover in zone as well. And he gets good depth on his drops and really kind of covers up the passing lanes really well so yeah he was a guy again I just found a couple of days ago just jotted down his yeah. name started watching some of his tapes so you know there's uh there, there's definitely a goal to be found you know as you get out of the top 100 and I think he might be a guy 
um, that, that finds, finds his way on a team. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm really glad you brought up that name because I think you, you nailed him as an evaluation. I think the other thing is that he's a really good blitzer. They love to blitz him up the middle and Deanna does. And so I think he's, he's a bit undersized, but he makes up for it with how competitive he is, how he plays with good technique. And so I think Texans offense doesn't do, or Texans defense doesn't do that too much, but I think it's a way that they should it's something that they should implement to get more pressure blitzing those linebackers. And so McFadden adds more value in that sense. So yeah, I love him as well. I think he's probably going to be drafted third, fourth round. And at that value, that's great. Yeah. I, I don't know how they continue to get away with it, but I watched, I think I watched three games and they just do that sort of kind of cross dog or whatever you call yeah. it blitz where the two linebackers come inside and cross over and try and make the, make the offensive lineman make a decision. But he seemed to get a lot of joy out of that. I mean, that will be, I'll get swallowed up a little bit more at the next level. So um, he might have to work on some of his hand fighting and a bit more of his leverage at the line. But yeah, he was a guy that I liked. You also had a, a, a kind of sleeper, kind of later guy uh, yes. on the same team. He wasn't played in the first game I watched. That was how I started getting there <laughs> from the last weekend there. I think it was against Michigan. But uh, yeah, you had a slot corner, right? Yes. So let me pull up his stats. Indiana, Tijuan Mullen. Um, he was one of the first guys I watched this year. Slot corner, 5'10", 180. So he definitely doesn't have that size that you want for the outside. Um, but as a freshman, he had 13 pass breakups. Then as a sophomore, he had just four pass breakups, but three interceptions, three and a half sacks. And so he's a guy who kind of reminds me of Kenny Moore because he's a playmaker. He's a guy who can do it in coverage. He can defend the run and he can also blitz. They send him on a lot of nickel blitzes and I've got nightmares from Kenny Moore sacking Deshaun Watson too many times on those nickel blitzes. So I thought that would be a good element to add to the Texans defense. They seem to not want to play Desmond King at nickel corner. Um, I think Tavier Thomas has actually been pretty solid there, but if they want to get younger, go with T1 Mullen out of Indiana. Um, he can do a little bit of everything for you. I just think he's a really feisty guy. Um, really tough competitor as a defensive back, likes to get his hands on to receivers, likes to push them off the routes. Um, and he's got good ball skills, um, good timing and execution as a blitzer, like I mentioned before. So yeah, he'd be my sleeper guy. I'm not seeing many people talk about him. And I think this year he's dealt with some injuries. So that's why he probably wasn't in the game that you watched. Um, but I think he'll be a guy who you can probably get on day three. So we're talking about sleeper, sleeper, like this guy's probably round four, five, six is where you can probably, probably get him. And I think eventually he could be a, a starting nickel corner who, who just makes plays for you always is going to pop up in the, in the box score. So I like him a lot. Yeah. My original sleeper just to round us off was a Caleb Evans. He was a Tulsa, um, uh, transfer and he's, he's, he's games. He's got all the measurables. If you watch his Tulsa tape, great understands leverage, understands, you know how to jam people at the line he gets good depth he can play the ball and um, transfer into SEC he had lots of offers he could have gone to Texas um, he could, I think he got an offer from the Notre Dame as well and uh, he, he's got all the measurables there but I just don't think he's, he's quite transferred that skill set to the SEC this year not played all that well for Mizzou I watched a couple of games um, they've kind of been blown out in a couple, so it's kind of hard as a corner when you're just when when the game's done. But he's a guy potentially again you could get later on. He was a name that was flagged to me. Um, watched a couple of his games. You can see it all there at Tulsa, perhaps less so at Mizzou. But um, but yeah, there's definitely these kind of bigger schools. There's guys that are in there that are uh, that have got. And I think with it with the transfer portal, Jordan, there's so many guys mm -hmm. moving around. It's hard to keep up. It's one hard to keep up with who's <laughs> actually eligible, and then it's hard to keep up where they've moved to. Um, and then you know the 
I think a lot of players are putting a lot of change around them. It might, might not always necessarily help them, but, but again, we've talked about mostly transfers here, so maybe it is a good thing they're opening it up. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's always football is such a situational sport. Like players will do horribly in situation X and then go to situation Y and just do so much better because of coaching, because of, you know, stuff that's going off the field. And so I think transfer portal is definitely a great opportunity to give these kids another chance at, you know, proving themselves to the league and and fulfilling that dream in the NFL. So yeah, I think probably about half of the prospects we talked to today were, were transfer guys. So it goes to show the talent that there is in, in college ball. So yeah, it's been great to watch it this year, man. Yeah, no, I think I've watched more this year definitely than I have in all the last three or four years yeah. combined, partly because it didn't matter. <laughs> but this year, hopefully we're going to pick up some. I think that just kind of gave me a bit of energy again to hopefully look, hope for better days because there's, there's you, you see how much you know, guys, when you trade multiple first-round picks, how much stuff mm-hmm. you miss out on, how many you know, opportunities to make your team better in multiple ways. Um, and I think we'll definitely will we'll hopefully see this team can take a step forward too if we're just kind of stewarding it from the, from the sidelines. Maybe maybe a different uh, entity altogether by the time we get there. But uh, any last words, John, before we head out here? It's a good hour on uh, prospects a, a fair um, distance out from the draft. Yeah, no, draft time, best time of the year. That's all I got to say. Um, thank you for having me on. Appreciate you as always. And till next time. Yeah, let's loop back in again. Let's uh, let's review some more as we as we get towards the end of the year. And uh, that uh, so it was a long kind of period, isn't it? Sort of March and, March and April, so... Let's uh, let's see where we are, but hopefully we'll have one. We'll have a, a bona fide ball player on our team and t- take the, take the talent level forward because it can't get much worse right now, as as we sit here at the bye week. But um, Jordan, thank you very much for your time, mate. These texts and thoughts you can check them out if you've not checked anything out on the website podcasttexts.com. If you're watching, give us a like, subscribe, do all that kind of good stuff. Get them algorithms churning, and hopefully some of these prospects and some of the time here well out will uh, will pay dividends at the water cooler or wherever. But thanks again for listening, and we'll uh, come back to you after what hopefully isn't another grueling defeat in Tennessee. But uh, we'll catch you again next week.